What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at you with another episode today, and we continue our Big Ten and 31 Days theme, and we are joined by Tim Newton, voice of the Purdue Boilermakers and host of the Jeff Brom radio show, and I just want to say, man, I appreciate you coming on here. Zach, glad to do it. Anytime anybody wants to talk about the Boilermakers, we're happy to oblige. For sure. And, you know, I felt like the best spot to start is this past season. The Boilermakers finished two and four, but it was a year of promise with some young players making big impacts. And for a season filled with injuries, uncertainty with COVID, everyone's records taken with a grain of salt this past year. But in terms of your opinion, did this season meet, exceed or fall short of your preseason expectations? You know, honestly, Zach, I would have to say it fell short uh, because the Boilermakers started the season 2-0, and started with a very impressive win over Iowa and a comeback win in the last couple of minutes in the season opener at Ross-Aid Stadium, then went over to Illinois and had a pretty impressive win there. So you're sitting at 2-0. and The third week they were supposed to play at Wisconsin, and that game was canceled because of COVID issues with the Badgers. So you're sitting there four weeks into the season, at 2-0 and, and, and excited about your opportunities in the West in the Big Ten. Uh, then you lose to Northwestern at home. Tough game, but uh, the, the Wildcats are a little bit too much. Probably the most disappointing game or the toughest one to take was the following week when Purdue goes up to Minnesota, a game that's back and forth, and the Boilermakers scored what they thought was the go-ahead touchdown in the final minute. Uh, touchdown pass that was called back because of a very questionable pass interference call offensive interference, and then uh, and the next play they got intercepted, lost that game, and then wound up losing the next two at home. And that, that was the other really damaging part is you had two games against Rutgers in Nebraska that you felt like you had an opportunity to win, didn't get either one of those. Now you're two and four, and then they're supposed to play Indiana in the bucket game. It was canceled because of COVID issues in both teams, and then they tried to play it again the next week, and it was still canceled. So you wind up, you're sitting there at 2-0 and in early November, and you don't win another game. So I think from that standpoint, standpoint it was disappointing. Uh, I do agree that you have to take everything that happened last fall with a little bit of a grain of salt. You know, you had some, some programs where, where players just opted out before the season even began. And then um, as the season went on, you've got your normal rash of injuries. But it's uh, – I, you know, if you win those last two games or if you win that game at Minnesota, it was overturned. You're either three and three or four and two. I think you feel a whole lot different. But it was it was hard to stomach two and four after a two and zero oh start. Right. It's, it's always difficult. And there's one player in particular I want to cover. I know he was out with some injuries and there was a lot of question of when he was going to play this year. But that's Rondell Moore. And anyone who has watched college football for the past three years knows this kid might be the most explosive player in the entire country. Almost 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns as a freshman. But like I said, injuries kind of limited him down the stretch. But in your opinion, what made Rondell such a special player? And what do you think his potential could be in the NFL if he stays healthy? Well, if he stays healthy, I think he could be a Tyreek Hill kind of player. He could have that kind of an impact because you can put him in the slot um, you can run him on reverses. He's he's tough. He's he's going to catch the ball over the middle. He very rarely goes down on first contact. But I think the thing that sets him apart is the explosiveness. Uh, you would see him shift gears, and he would be in the middle of a pack of defenders, and all of a sudden he shoots out of there in, in any one direction. And he very, very rarely, if ever, was tackled one-on-one. It usually took more than a couple of guys to get him to the to the ground. Um, so I think his, he's, he's an incredible athlete. In fact, you know, I, 
I did a few stories with him and, and talked to him a couple of times. He has the strongest handshake of any human being I've ever had. I mean, it just, it would about break your, the bones in your hand. Uh, so he's, he's just, he's got an enormous strength for a guy that size. And I know since the end of the season, he's been preparing for the NFL draft. I think he's probably going to be a late first round pick if I had to guess. And with him, it's going to be a case largely of fit. You know, you're going to have to go into a system where they're looking for a slot receiver. And, and I think he's got the opportunity to, to have an immediate impact as a rookie. But uh, certainly the one of the most dynamic players we've had at Purdue here in the last several decades. Yeah, I mean, that Ohio State performance is probably going to go down as one of the best performances in history. And uh, he's just he's probably my biggest what if. If he would have had three years at full strength, no injuries, what could have Rondell Moore put? What kind of stats could we have seen him put up? But moving to a, a, a very important position at quarterback, we saw very two, we saw two very talented kids take some snaps this year, Jack Plummer, Aiden O'Connell. Both had um, excellent seasons. I would say they put up very similar stats. Who do you see moving forward though into this year? Take command of that QB one role, or do you see more of a dual quarterback system for Purdue this upcoming year? Well, I was kind of hoping you could tell me today which way they're going to go. You know, it's it's interesting because in 2019, Jack Plummer started the season, and then he got hurt in November, and Aiden O'Connell had to come on, and he he did a great job. He came in as a O'Connell came in as a walk on. Really, the only scholarship offer he had was at the Division three level or Division two level at, at Wheaton College, and he decided he wanted to walk on to a Big Ten program, have an opportunity to play with the big boys. He waited his turn. You know, he, you had David Blau, you had Elijah Sindelar, he had a lot of guys in front of him. And then, you know, it came down to Jack Plummer and O'Connell. And Jack got the start in 2019, got hurt. Aiden finished up. And then Aiden gets the start in 2020. He plays the first three games and then he gets hurt and Plummer has to come back in. But I thought both guys played very well. A little bit different style. O'Connell has the stronger arm of the two. Uh, Plummer's a little bit more mobile. So I think one thing that the, you're going to look at in the in the spring and then in the fall is who can be the most accurate in terms of, of getting the balls to where they need to go. But, you know, elusiveness and, and the ability to make plays with your legs is, is going to be a factor. And so Plummer may have an edge there. Aiden's got a little edge in the throwing ability. And, you know, there are two other guys in that quarterback room that are looking for the opportunity. Austin Burton uh, is a transfer from UCLA. His sister, Veronica, is actually one of the top women's basketball players in the Big Ten. She plays at Northwestern. And then we've got a kid named Mike Alimo, who has a brother who plays tight end at Rutgers. He's from New Jersey, and he was very highly recruited coming out of high school. So those guys are getting ready to, to get an opportunity to, to try to get on the field. So you got four guys competing, but I think it'll probably come down at the beginning to Plummer or O'Connell. And Honestly, right now at this time of the year, I can't. I don't have any idea which way it's going to go in September. Right. I mean, this it's a big decision for Jeff Brom, who I want to kind of shift to now. I mean, he came to Purdue a very, very successful tenure at Western Kentucky. He's shown so much promise as the head coach for the Boilermakers. I remember when they played Auburn in the bowl game, being an Auburn alum, uh, alumni, I remember Jeff Brom having so much talk as one of the best coaches in the country. And I know there's a lot of rumors he might leave for that Louisville job. He ended up staying, which was a big keep for Purdue. But how would you grade Brom's job so far at Purdue, and what are your expectations for him moving forward? Well, you had to bring up that Auburn game, didn't you? <laughs> I, think, I, think the, I think the Tigers just scored again. That was, let's just say that was a long day in Nashville. You know, yeah. I think Jeff, 
I think Jeff Brom inherited a very difficult situation when he came in in 2017 because the program was at an incredible low at that point. In the four years prior to Jeff coming, they had won a total of nine games here in West Lafayette, and interest was low. Attendance had dwindled. We had a game in, in Daryl Hazel's last season that we probably had, or maybe it was his next to last season, we might have had three or 4,000 people at the stands at kickoff for a Division One Big Ten football game. Um, you know, I think Jeff came in and he energized the Purdue fan base. Uh, he came in and had a wide open style of offense. And, and that first year, you know, they, they came back in November, got themselves eligible for a bowl and beat Arizona in the Foster Farms Bowl. And everybody is excited. You talked about the game earlier, the Ohio State game in 2018. Since then, though, the, the fortunes have gone the other way. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is the injuries and, and injuries are a part of every football team. I have never seen, though, in my life, a team that was as impacted as that 2019 Purdue team. Uh, we, we were, I remember the second week of the season, they had more than 20 guys. And these aren't guys, I'm not talking about practice squad guys or, ta- you know, the, the, your, your scout team. I'm talking about guys that either would have started on offense or defense or at least played a, a big role or played on special teams. They had 20 out by the third week of the season, and I, it just it was incredible, the amount of talent. And that was also the season, if you remember, they lost Elijah Sindelar and Rondale Moore on the same play uh, for yeah. the season. So the expectations going forward, I th- he's made a change on the defensive side. In fact, he's, in, he's changed his entire defensive coaching staff. Bob Diaco is out as the defensive coordinator. Brad Lambert is in. You've got uh, – uh, Mark Hagan has come back. Mark has been down at Texas for the last few years. He's an Indiana grad, but has coached here. He coached at Purdue under Joe Tiller and is back now in West Lafayette. Ron English was a head coach at Eastern Michigan, so he has head coaching experience. Completely different side on the de- completely different staff on the defensive side, and I think Jeff is bound to determine he's going to get back to the aggressive ways that he had in 2017, where he's going to be, I think, a little bit more wide open and going back to the tricks a little bit on offense, but more importantly on defense. He wants to have a blitzing, attacking, downhill defense, and I think that Brad Lambert will give that to him. So I think the expectations going forward in 2021 are to try to get back to the excitement level of 2017 and get the momentum going back in the right direction here in West Lafayette. Right. And hopefully it helps a little bit, maybe getting a little bit more fan involvement this year. We see a lot of places saying they're going to open up the stands, whether it be 50 percent, 100 percent, if you're Alabama or Texas or someone like that. But we'll see. But in terms of rebuilding a program, recruiting is the way you got to go. National Signing Day just wrapped up. But the Boilermakers didn't sign a big class this year. I felt like they had a lot of people returning. So it was a smaller class. I believe it was 15 with some transfers. Still a top 75 class. They have some talented guys in there. And in terms of transfers, three huge SEC guys coming in to Purdue that were contributors at SEC programs. What were your, what did you think were the biggest needs for the Boilermakers? And what were your initial thoughts on this recruiting class? Well, I think we knew coming in that the recruiting class was not going to be as highly rated, in part because of the size of it. And and if as I think a lot of fans that would follow your your podcasts understand, a lot of times these recruiting classes are ranked based on the size. I mean, the more guys you got, sometimes the higher the ranking. And we knew that Purdue was going to have a relatively small class. The other thing too is Jeff has really decided that he always wants to keep a few spaces open for transfers, especially now with the liberalization 
of the transfer market. You want to make sure that you've got space available if you've got some high caliber, high quality guys that want to come in. Um, I think when you talk about needs and you talked about the guys that they had come in as transfers, certainly the offensive line was still a need. The defensive line was a need. And they also had a little bit of a need at linebacker where they got actually an Auburn transfer to come in and and help plug the gap at linebacker. Probably uh, I think they were looking defensive backfield a little bit. Um, you know, we're the, at the point now, quality depth is what you're looking for, but you're also looking, especially on the lines, um, the, the one thing that Purdue's going to need, and I talked before about having an attacking defense, you've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. And if you look back at last year, that was probably the biggest thing that was missing is too many guys were able to sit back in the pocket and get to their second, their third, their fourth reads. Um, you're, you're de- I don't care how good your defensive backs are, they can't hold up that long. And so I think for Purdue to be successful this year on the defensive side, they've got to be more attacking, but they've also got to get a better push out of their front four. And hopefully, again, some of these guys will help in that regard. Yeah, uh, Brothers from Auburn was one of my, one of my favorite recruits out of the class. He came in for Auburn, so that's a huge get. And that, you know, with Owen Papo and all the rest of them, young linebackers stepping up at Auburn and Travis Williams now headed out, Brothers look for other places. So he's going to be a huge contributor, but – Looking ahead to next season, I'm going to be honest. I feel like we've had a string of episodes where I've had to say this. This is a brutal schedule. I'm not I'm not even going to lie to you. This is a tough one. I mean, road games at Notre Dame, Northwestern, Ohio State, along with I think this is a sneaky game against Oregon State, who has been on the upswing in terms of what they're doing up there in Oregon. What are what what games are you circling on this schedule as must win games? And do you see Purdue pulling off something like a big upset over Ohio State or anything like that next year? Well, you know the Boilermakers have had great success against the Buckeyes in recent years, and and uh, we we gave Urban Meyer I think his last loss at Ohio State if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know the. The, the, I think the first game is really important. You mentioned the Oregon State game, and that's coming right out of the gate. And I think in order to get the fan base back and to get the, the momentum going, you've got that one at home, and then you play at Connecticut. And I think those two games are really going to help set the tone for the season because then you go to South Bend, and then you get into that Big Ten schedule. So, you know, the must-win games, you, you'd like to think that that Oregon State game becomes very important, and I think the game at Connecticut is very important. Purdue has not gotten off to great non-conference starts under Jeff Brom. Now, part of the reason is you mentioned the scheduling. Um, they could go out and they could dumb their schedule down, and that has not been the case so far. They've decided that they're going to try and maintain a very good uh, schedule every year. Notre Dame's going to get back on the schedule for a lot of years now, and then they're going to play some home-and-homes coming up. I know they've got Mississippi down the road and you know some other some other games against Power 5 teams. So, Getting off to the good start, but, you know, if you're looking at the Big Ten, the teams that you have to beat, I think, that Purdue hasn't beaten Wisconsin in like 20 years. So that's that's one monkey that they have to get off their back. If you're going to win the Big Ten West, you've got to eventually beat Wisconsin. And I think, to me, the other barometer year after year for Purdue at this point in their, in their evolution is Northwestern because Northwestern under Pat Fitzgerald is pretty solid year after year, and that's a team, again, if you're going to get to the top of the standings, you've got to be able to compete with that squad. So those are the games. They're all important. Certainly the Indiana game is important at the end of the season. Indiana had one of its best seasons in history. Uh, didn't win its bowl game, though, and it's been about 30 years since the Hoosiers have won a bowl game. So they're trying to get over the hump and see if, you know, they want to show that I'm sure that they're not just a one-year flash, that 
that Tom Allen's building something down there. Certainly he's improved the talent level. So that in-state game becomes important from a, uh, a not just a rivalry perspective, but also just from a an outward looking, okay, who's got the momentum in the state right now? Right. And I mean, this, the Big Ten just every year for me, just people overlook it has has become more and more competitive. I mean, people don't realize that Northwestern's made two out of the last three Big Ten championship games. And Pat Fitzgerald has those guys really fighting over there. But you mentioned some some of the youth earlier, some of the players returning. Sticking with this with this next season, who are some players that we should look out for that could shine and really have their breakout seasons this upcoming year? Well, you know, I think last year was a breakout year for David Bell at wide receiver. Um, he had been in, in Rondale Moore's shadow a little bit, and, and uh, the two of them finally got to play together. You know, I think this could be a breakout year for a guy like T.J. Sheffield, who's going to be a slot receiver. He might be the heir apparent in Rondale's spot in the slot, an incredible athlete. Um, you know, I'm anxious to see a guy named Marcellus Moore. Marcellus Moore just qualified for the NCAA Indoor Track Championships, I think, in the 60-meter dash. But one of the fastest guys in the Big Ten. I don't know how much we'll see him on the field at receiver this year, but you may see him in kick returns. And that's a that's a, an area that Purdue has been woeful in the last few years is, is returning punts and returning kickoffs. So uh, that he's a potential breakout player. You know, it's hard to say. I don't think George Karloftis is a breakout player because I think the the Big Ten and the nation is starting to find out about him. But I think he'll take his game to another level. His younger brother, Yanni, is is a recruit on this year's team. Now, Yanni is missing spring football. He graduated early from West Lafayette High School, uh, and he is is here, but he's not participating because he suffered a pretty significant hamstring injury his early in his senior year. Really missed most of his senior year. Uh, in high school, and so he's going to be recovering. But he's a guy that will have an opportunity to get on the field right away at linebacker because that is a position of need right now. So, you know, those are some of the guys. You know, you, you've mentioned some of the the people we'll be looking at. Aiden O'Connell, Jack Plummer, certainly going to be battling at quarterback. And um, you know, like a guy, another guy that I think could have a little bit of a breakout year at tight end is Garrett Miller. Uh, Payne Durham has solidified himself as the top receiver, but we saw Garrett Miller gives another level of athleticism to the tight end position, and that's an important position in Jeff Brom's offense. So uh, those are a few players. And, you know, I wrote down the names of guys that I thought were going to play this year, and I've got them. I'm looking at them in here. You know, thankfully, it's a bigger list than it was in the last couple of years, and that I think means that they're getting to the depth that they want to get here in year five of the Jeff Brom era. Right, and I'm just glad to see they gave Brom some patience. I think we've seen too many – times where we bring in a new coach to rebuild a program and if year three they're not winning the championship we're moving on and so I'm really hoping Brom gets his get gets time to get even more and more depth and players into the program but based on these breakout players based on that schedule we just broke down can you give us what you think the ceiling and or floor could be for the 2021 Purdue team you know I always hate to put numbers on it because I'm never right um I do <laughs> think I, I for me let me say what I, I think a reasonable expectation for this football team is to get back at the 500 mark or better, get back into a bowl game this season. You know, the, the ceiling, it, it, it's going to be very difficult. You mentioned the schedule. You, you know when you've got games right off the bat on the road at Notre Dame and at Ohio State, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to go 12-0. Um, right. So, I, you know, I, I think for me a realistic uh, 
I'll say instead of going ceiling floor, I'm going to go realistic midpoint, I think is certainly to get back to a bowl game this year, get back to a winning record. And, you know, I, the, the goal every season is going to be to contend for the Big Ten West because right now that's that really is, I think, a, a, a division that's up for grabs every year. I think in general last year the Big Ten West was better than the East. Now there was not a team in the West that was as good as Ohio State as we saw in, in the Big Ten championship game. But I think you, you, Penn State was way down this year. Michigan was way down this year. Michigan State was way down this year. Are those teams going to stay down or are they going to come back up in 2021? And then on the other side, can programs like Minnesota that had a big 2019 but took a step back last year, can they come back? Can Iowa continue to have its, you know, its run of, and I won't say they're not a super program, but they are a very good program year after year after year. And that's, and that shows, you mentioned about not pulling the plug too early. You know, we see it too many places. And I know that alumni are, we live in a, in a, what have you done for me today? Not have not what have you done for me lately, but what have you done for me today, world? Um, I think at some point you've got to say, this is our guy. We're going to stick with our guy. We're going to ride it out. And I can tell you right now, without any hesitation, Jeff Brown is Purdue's guy. You know, people are saying he's on the hot seat, but bull. <laughs> he is not on the hot seat. There is no talk at all about replacing Jeff Brown in West Lafayette. He's here. He's here to do a job. And he's have every opportunity to build this program where it needs to go. Right, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to see that. I think he's a great coach. I think this is a great program, and so that's why I want to shift to this. I haven't had a chance to get up to Indiana yet, but I want to shift to the environment of West Lafayette, Rosé's Stadium. What makes this city, this stadium, so unique, so special on game days? Well, there are a lot of traditions at Purdue. Um, it's it's a very conservative campus, and I'm not just politically, but I think uh, we're this, this is not a Madison, Wisconsin. Um, we're we're kind of the opposite of that. It's a very buttoned down, uh, blue collar kind of a community. Um, I, I liken it a little bit to Iowa City. Uh, it, it has the same kind of a general feel where the campus is the big thing in town. I mean, it, it is by far the county's biggest employer. Uh, on game day, the All-American Marching Band, which is one of the largest marching bands in the country and has the world's biggest bass drum, uh, they uh, they put on a pregame show or a postgame show every year, and there's a celebration before the game. It's a very patriotic thing called I Am an American, and you know, I've been at Purdue now for 40 plus years and that that has been going since I was here and it was here years before. So I think when you think of Purdue, you think of tradition. Um, you, certainly it's been a, a great haven of quarterbacks. You know, you look at the tradition of Purdue quarterbacks over the years, you go back all the way to Len Dawson and Bob Greasy and Mike Phipps and Gary Danielson and Mark Herman and Jim Everett and Drew Brees and Kyle Orton. Um, and, and it's also built a great reputation in the last few years of, of developing some great defensive ends that have gone on to success in the NFL. But, um, you know, let's be honest, too. Indiana is first and foremost a basketball state. There's no question that if you were going to poll the, the average fan in Indiana what their favorite sport is, basketball would win it hands down. But I do think people do get behind Purdue football, and especially when the Boilermakers are clicking, and there's excitement. Uh, Ross Aid Stadium is, is a great place. It's 
It's, it was renovated a few years ago. Uh, the, the seating capacity has changed. It's about fifty-five to 60000 now, depending on how they do things. Um, but when you get that place full, it, it's got great electricity. We saw it the night of the Ohio State game when, when you know Tyler Trent and everything was getting national attention. So um, th- this is a town that very much revolves around Purdue. And I think when Purdue football is doing better, the town and, and the, the general area does better because everybody's got a smile on their face. And, the, and all the shops are happy because people are drinking more and they're eating more. So everybody's happy in the town. Right. And, you know, you you bring up Tyler Trent and, you know, we didn't have this podcast when this was going on, but I had to ask, I mean, he was such an inspiration no matter who you rooted for, where you were located. It just everybody at that time was connected to him. What 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 does he mean to the university, the team, the community? And what is can you kind of speak on what his lasting impact has been? You know, for those not familiar with the Tyler Trent story, I'll give you a quick summary. He's a he's a. It was a high school student when he was diagnosed with cancer, bone cancer. Back, uh, he was fourteen or fifteen years old, and he had fought it a couple of times. Uh, actually, uh, was probably going to go to another university uh, out of state. And when he got cancer, um, he had to stay close to home because he was being treated and was going through a lot of different things. And so he decided he would come to Purdue. And he was a huge sports fan. We found him, and I say we, one of the, my friends who works at the local newspaper saw him one night before a football game. It was, before, I think, before the homecoming game against Michigan a couple of years ago. And he and his buddy are standing. Now, the, the, the game, this is a Friday night. The game is the next day. And he and his buddy are standing outside the stadium so that they are first in line when the gates open the next day. And everybody, the, the students are let in because it's basically in the student section. It's general admission seating, but it's yeah. done by when you get there. What was amazing to that, so that would be, in and of itself, that's kind of cool. I mean, some two kids that are ready, ready to sit up. What was amazing of that is he had just come from a chemotherapy treatment. He had just gotten chemo, came straight back from Indy, and then went and, and stood in line all night so that he could get in. So there was a story in the paper the next day. We talked to him on the radio network the next day. And from then, his story just grew and grew and grew. And unfortunately, the cancer came back. Uh, I think it was, it was either after his freshman or his sophomore year, he was unable to come back to school. And, you know, he was such a great inspiration through that 2018 season. Uh, sadly, he passed away at the beginning of 2019. And I was at his memorial service. Uh, or one of the services. They had one, a memorial service in uh, Indianapolis, which is where he was from, but then they had something on campus. This was in January, I and mean, this is the middle of January, and I remember the night vividly that the wind chill had to be 10, 15 degrees below zero, and people were packed in outside in the center of campus, and there were people, I'm standing around these students, and, and, and students are weeping, and I'm sure that I'm, probably the vast majority of them had never met Tyler had never had the opportunity to say hello to him, to meet him, to talk to him. But they were so taken by his spirit, by what he meant to Purdue. And, and you know, you asked me what his legacy is. Well, first of all, he, he, he donated his brain tumor uh, to, uh, to science. So they were able to go in and, and they, you know, they, they have actually have been able to do a lot of things with the tumor that he donated. And they had to take that tumor out while he was still alive. And it was a very, the, the, the process to do that was very painful. So he was, you know, willing to, to donate his, basically his body to science. And he got very involved in the Purdue Center for Cancer Research. There was an endowment 
that was established in his name that's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he's got that legacy. But when you think of Purdue and think of, you know, uh, I was in school, there was a, a Nobel Prize winner that was at Purdue. And, and, you know, there were some people that were in school when Neil Armstrong was there, you know, first man to walk on the moon. There are going to be people 20, 30 years from now that say, I was in school when Tyler Trent was there. And every Purdue fan will know what you're talking about, who you're talking about. So his legacy is just enormous and um, it, it will never be forgotten. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, mean, I remember following that real closely. I remember seeing the, I, I believe it was the game day special they had um, on one of the game days. And then from there, like you said, it blew up. So I felt like I couldn't have you on without having someone who was there and experienced it talk about that and shine a little light on what he meant to Purdue and what he's what his legacy is still doing now. But last question here, man, this is, this is probably my favorite question to ask people by far. And it's, you've been, you've been at Purdue for many years now. You've called some great, exciting games. What has been your favorite, most memorable call moment since you have been at Purdue? Well, you know, it's going to be really, really hard to top the Ohio state game that in 2018, because Purdue was, a huge underdog. And the, the whole night was, was kind of memorable because there was a huge storm that came through Lafayette. Now the, the game I think was an eight o'clock Eastern time tip off. And there was a big storm that came through around four or five o'clock and uh, like 50 mile an hour wind gusts. So there was kind of a, a weird feeling in the stadium. You know, sometimes you get that feeling after a big storm, but the electricity that night with a full stadium uh, with the lights on, with and and everybody knew Tyler's story that he basically they didn't know until just before the game whether he was going to be able to make it there for him to get there and and to be in that stadium and then for the fourth quarter that we had where I think Purdue scored four touchdowns I think it was yeah. in the fourth quarter and and particularly the Rondale Moore score where he he was trapped on the sideline and ran through three players and he just kind of came out like he'd been shot out of a cannon um, that's one that I'll never forget. I mean, that, you know, I, I saw some great games at Purdue over the years with some great players. Um, you know, back when I was a student here in the late seventies and early eighties, Purdue had one of its best three year stretches in program history and had its only 10 win season back in 1979. So, you know, I've seen great battles against Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes. Um, and, and I worked, um, when I was at Purdue and as a student, I worked in the sports information office. So I was able to work uh, on stats and, and, and work with some of the TV crews that came in. So you got to meet some great people and, you know, you're, you're alongside Keith Jackson and some of the other folks who came in, but from a standpoint of being able to call a game, uh, it's really hard to top that 2018 game with Ohio state and, and what it meant to the program and, and the national attention that it brought, not just to Purdue, but also to the causes that Tyler was, was espousing. Right. I mean, that game, I remember we, we we had something here at K State where I am now. <coughs> Excuse me, but I remember watching it on TV, and everyone, even people who didn't like college football, was like Purdue. Like there were people there who were like, "Who is Purdue?" I didn't even know that they had, like they're beating Ohio State like that, and it eventually. I mean that that like you said, it got so much national attention, but. Man, I really appreciate you coming on here. I love talking about all these different programs from all across the country. But go ahead, man. I'm going to let you 
plug any social media, radio shows, anything. Let it, let our listeners know where they can find you or anything to do with Purdue football. Well, you can't find me on social media because I'm one of those old, <laughs> one of those old, uh, you know. Uh, I, I believe in electricity and technology, but I'm not on Twitter. Um, you can listen to us during the season. We're on the TuneIn app, so you can you can call it or get in our broadcast. Uh, we have the Jeff Brom Show. Usually, I think we're running those every Wednesday now during the football season, so you can tune in at 6 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, love to have you along on the call September 4th. Game time to be determined, but Oregon State comes into Ross 8, and so uh, we, we hope that uh, – we can convert some fans out there who might be neutral uh, yep. to be Boilermaker fans. So we appreciate appreciate the, having the opportunity. And, Zach, I uh, really want to thank you for having me on today. Absolutely, man. And I'll definitely be reaching out closer to the season, you know, have you on again when it's, a, when it's actually football season instead of just this weird March kind of like limbo thing we're doing right now. I'm sitting in my basement, which is basically where I've been now for the last year. I'm anxious to get back into the real world and see people. I've been doing basketball games in empty arenas this this uh, fall, and you know, even the football games we did. Uh, it was nice to be able to do them, but it's going to be a whole lot better when we have fans back in the stands. Oh, yeah. I, I, I tell people all the time, you can't have college football without the fans. The fans, the tradition, the pageant, the pageantry is exactly what college football is. But, guys, make sure to go listen to some Purdue games with, with Tim and – We'll be back later this week, man, with some more Big Ten and 31 Days episodes. Also, y'all know to check out the two-minute drill Monday through Friday on our YouTube channel, the Blue Blood CFB Podcast. But guys, for Tim, for myself, 